We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nechami, founder of Carmela Cosmetics, a company that produces high-performance natural beauty products and is dedicated to uniting and empowering women through the power of color. This is We Are Women, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast came about as a way to give a voice to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of bread and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women. Jessica Hughes is an inspiration on so many levels. She has experienced some of the darkest times, yet has emerged victorious and undefeated. Jessica left a toxic marriage as a single mom to seven beautiful children. After being sexually assaulted at the age of 18 and repressing her emotions around this traumatic event, throughout the years, Jessica experienced heavy addictions as well as eating disorders all while putting on a perfect front to family and friends. So during this interview, Jessica shared her story with me of addiction, recovery, and her road of healing through the therapeutic process of art and how she uses it to express her emotions, thoughts, and feelings and teaches others to do the same. I am so excited for you to hear Jessica's story, her journey, and just feel so inspired and empowered from her experiences. Okay, young Jess was an absolutely um, like into fairy princesses and imagination and completely whimsical, completely clueless to the outside world. I mean, I really spent most of my time playing, um, you know, just imaginary everything. I had imaginary friends and animals and I was obsessed with um, these tiny people that were maybe an inch tall. And I would make entire worlds for them to live in, um, like all the, the current fairy fairy houses that are packaged up these days for kids to put together. Spent a lot of time in the woods. Um, we lived out in the country, and we also had a place up in the mountains, and that was like magical. At a magical waterfall, I'd go off to and sit by, and I was very much naive in my head. Um, I really spent a lot of time drawing too. I I knew kind of in second grade that I was going to be an artist. You know, that was kind of my calling. Um, So I was always like one step out of place from all the cool kids. And, you know, I didn't watch TV. I just never got into it. I had more fun playing with friends and and being outside. We had a pony um, riding horses and yeah, it, it was really a great childhood. So I think that's where, you know, after overcoming all the trauma that came later in my life, I really have that to go back to. I had amazing parents that really um, allowed me to be a creative and explore that and not tell me I'm destined for the formula that we all have, which is go to school, go to college, get a job, make money, then you're secure. And they um, really allowed me to find my way. So that was, that was little Jess. Wow. 
Wow, that makes total sense. You know, you becoming an artist based on the way you describe like the visual impact of, you know, what was what you were surrounded by as a child. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was only till about sixth grade that I realized, you know, that's when everyone was getting into boys and, you know, wearing the cool clothes. And I just, it's not that I felt insecure at that point. It just, I got very, very quiet. Um, Didn't share a whole lot of my inner world because I just, you know, I think that was the point where I felt like I was um, not easily understood by peers. And that was a little tricky to maneuver. And that definitely got more challenging through middle school and high school for sure. But I was also a musician. I was, I played the flute in fourth grade and went on, you know, in college, I was going to be a double art and music major at Skidmore and I'm getting ahead of things, but um, that was a big passion of mine too. So anything that really like brought me into that nonverbal right brain space was where I I flourished. Wow. That's so great. So, okay. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, Let's start with, you know, you, you've been through a lot. You've been through a lot of trauma and overcome a lot. Let's start at the beginning. Why don't you just like start sharing, you know, what, what you've been through? Sure. Um, Really, you know, I've been through a very challenging marriage, but it, I really feel like I came in broken um, based on a sexual assault that happened when I was 18. And like I said, I was a whimsical teenager too. I, I would canoe up in Canada every summer and spent a lot of time outdoors and very, very much a late bloomer. So an event happened in Canada and that night he happened. It was completely traumatic because it was my first time. Um, And I ended up repressing that. I tried to get help. I went away to college two weeks later, saw a counselor one time and, and then just decided to just, I I couldn't go there. So I actually got into the sport of rowing at Skidmore and all of a sudden the artist musician was an athlete. And for some freaky reason, I was built for that sport. I wasn't, I'm five foot 10 and I was at a division three school and I walked on and within a month I had beat all the women and half the men in the timed test. So (laughs) I got super caught up in being as physically strong as possible. And I think subconsciously, you know, looking back, you can connect those dots. And I was on a mission. I loved rowing. I still do. Um, But there was a lot more to it in that um, the repressed memories and and the mission to be as physically powerful as possible. I ended up transferring to University of Wisconsin to row division one. Um, I trained at the Olympic development camps in the summers, um, won a gold medal at the uh, 95 Olympic festival, which was like the um, Olympic hopeful practice Olympics. Uh, And then I went back my junior year and started having flashbacks in the spring. I lost a race that I was set to win in the entire Midwest. And I came in second place, which was losing for me at that point. Um, And I remember getting completely wasted that night, driving my knuckles on brick walls like this, all the, the memories from that night, all of a sudden visually appeared. And I was so affected Um, and I tailspun and thank goodness for my coach at that point who got me in touch with a counselor. Um, 
you know, I was her star athlete at the point and she really, I owe her a lot for seeing what I was going through, even though I wasn't talking about it and getting me help. Um, but there was a lot of body distortion and, you know, really the food issues, the eating disorder, I have to be okay saying that really was born at that, you know, 18 and after, um, and that I battled for the next couple decades. So that's where it began. And I ended up dropping out of college, taking a year off. And I found that um, I was really good at teaching art to little kids. So I ended up buying a house there, starting an art school. I was making lots of money. So it just didn't make sense if I wasn't going to go back for rowing to finish for the art degree. Um, and then I got pregnant with twins boy, girl, twins. When it was one, I was going to stay in Madison. I'm from Pittsburgh. I was going to stay in Madison, keep my house, keep my art school. You know, that seems okay. I, I'm just going to do this. And then I have one question. So were you married at this point? No, I was not. Um, my boyfriend at the time wanted to just go off to law school and couldn't be a part of it. And, you know, that hurt, but it was, you know, it was, as it was meant to be. Um, but I found out it was a boy girl set of twins and that changed everything. And I, I was like, okay, God universe, I'll go home. <laughs> clearly, you know, clearly I can't do this on my own. So I put the house up for sale, moved home with my parents who thank goodness, just they're incredible people. My dad passed away, but, um, he was my hero and my mom and I were always really close and they really, you know, embraced me and brought me home. I had the twins in Pittsburgh and I really, um, when they were about six months old, they said, Jess, why don't you go back to rowing, back to racing in the morning and we'll cover the twins, you know, from five to 8 a.m. when I was training. So that's how I got back into the sport, you know, had those Olympic dreams still, but that's where I met my husband. And it was just a toxic relationship, but it was really that we were a bad match from the start. We based an entire marriage on the love of wine and rowing. And, you know, we only knew each other six months. Then I was engaged for four months and then we got married, bought a house. I was pregnant with the third baby right away. Um, and about three years into it, he went back to Catholicism and that was a struggle for me because I'm not. And, um, you know, there were some big challenges there about having more children. So I decided to um, have more and we ended up having a baby every year for the next four years. So um, at the seventh child, I had a one-year-old or I had a newborn, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, six-year-old and twin nine-year-olds. And wow. I was overwhelmed. I had started an art licensing company so that I could just try and express myself. And he was a financial advisor and money was super important. So I was allowed to work if I brought in income and that it was a great way to make money. But it was really all about making stuff that other people would like, um, what the markets want, what the trends were. You know, I was designing baby bedding and um, home decor stuff. And it was great, great way to make money. But I tried to maintain that through having those next four children, and it just wasn't possible. So I kind of broke after the seventh baby emotionally. Um, I was drinking 
super heavily, um, you know, suicidal thoughts crept in. I had this eating disorder, you know, all the weight gain and fluctuation with all those babies. Um, I would look in the mirror and just be, it was such a distorted image. I can see that looking back now. Um, and I, you know, I said, no more, I can't do this anymore. And that was really the end of the marriage at that point. And that was 12 years ago. So we were pretty emotionally cut off and I spun into a really horrible depression. Um, yeah, it, it, it was rough. Um, the one joy, you know, the huge joy of my life is are these seven amazing children that I have that I, I'm really doing everything I'm doing to be an example to them and a role model for them about, you know, what it's like to go something really painful and come out the other side. And uh, I ended up starting another company based on children's artwork because my kids would go out on the parking lot and draw with sidewalk chalk and they're all very artistic. And I started capturing photos of all of these incredible drawings and our pediatrician wanted artwork for his medical practice. So I thought, what's gonna be universal to everyone? And I realized, you know, we all drew the sun with all the lines coming out of it and stick people and, you know, children's art expresses so much of what they're trying to say when they're not really articulate enough to describe a story or tell a story. And that's true of a lot of adults. And that's what's really brought me to where I am today. But Kids Art to Canvas was an amazing company. And it was about celebrating children's art, letting people know that there's this rich inner world happening inside them. And that if we celebrate their art, you know, beyond just sticking it on a fridge or a lot of people just pitch it in the garbage, um, that we have this window into this incredible inner world that they have, that they're, they're trying to communicate with that. So... I did huge, large scale paintings, like five foot by seven foot paintings of children's art and painted by me as if a four-year-old or a six-year-old had the technical ability of a fine artist. Um, so again, that company was all about kids and um, that incredible story and how to help people understand that. I ended up designing an artist in residence program for Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh we did a pilot um, for three months on the oncology floor, uh, working with all the kids uh, battling cancer and bone marrow transplants and really critically ill children. And I would go in, I had my little art kit that I designed and you know, have, have what I now would call a mindset talk with these kids that were, you know, some of them said, I, I can't draw, I don't draw. And talking about that creativity inside all of us and it's this little present and it might be wrapped up and some people open it up when they're six. And a lot of us go through life never opening up that gift and kind of encouraging them that there's no right or wrong way to create, create art. And that we just wanted to capture a story that represented them and that I would be their collaborative person. They could tell me the colors, they could give me whatever direction they needed to. And then I would go back and digitally paint um, a painting and we printed it on a two by two um, wall sticker, fabric wall sticker, because being able to sterilize something in there was critically important. And then we'd have this unveiling where I brought in their painting and the doctors and nurses and families, and we would unveil it and stick it on the wall. 
And it was this touch point that was that was created where the nurses would come in and say, wow, you know, and talk about the art instead of this is the leukemia patient and not even call them by their name. It was this interchange between here's the story of this child beyond their diagnosis. It was really powerful. Um, I ended up speaking at, a, at the Global Arts and Healthcare or Arts and Medicine, I can't remember now, conference in Texas, I think in 2014. Um, but right about that time, I had a lot of medical issues falling apart with my kids and my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he's really been the safe man of my entire life. He was my hero. You know, when he passed away, he was 40 years sober. Um, and he always wanted this for me, the life I'm living now. And I couldn't get there. Um, my oldest was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and congenital lobar emphysema, you know, all these lung issues at the age of 15. Um, so I'm trying to give to others through Kids Art to Canvas and take care of these severe medical issues in my personal life. And I was turning to pills at that point, um, the uppers to, to look like superwoman that I could raise seven children, take care of my sick dad and mom who was, you know, it caught us all so off guard because he was so vibrant and so young. Um, and, you know, be this entrepreneur. And I have been striving for perfection and achievement to, to be seen my entire life because I, inside it was this, I hated myself, uh, this worthless distorted, never good enough, you know, I think what's common with so many people um, going through things, you know, that, that we weren't meant to shine, that we need to stay small, that art isn't a real career, that I can't make money doing it. And, you know, really those companies were about sneaking into my office and feeling guilty the whole time because my husband did not, he liked the idea of it, but he didn't know how to emotionally support or see or value what I was doing in a way that um, I needed um, but really what I needed more than anything is not anyone's validation, but I needed to believe it for me and find a way to love myself. And I couldn't get there. So I ended up bookshelving the entire company when my dad had a um, seizure and the cancer spread to his brain. And I knew time was limited. So um, we went through some moves and more chaos and turmoil and he, uh, we moved to the North Hills of Pittsburgh and my parents followed a couple months later and it was right during that week. They ended up living with us for a week. My dad took a downturn um, and he ended up passing away in my home, which was beautiful for me because I could spend, you know, I remember spending that last night holding his hand and thanking him for, for the person he'd been in my life. And, uh, Sorry, this is emotional. I know, um, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he, my parents were really second parents for all seven of my children. They were super close. They saw them every day, really, of their early lives. Um, so when he passed, that my world just, the floor fell out. And I had to uh, midwife my children through this incredible loss in their lives. Um, Two months earlier, my husband had lost his mother, so he was grieving. You know, in that six months, we lost 
I think five close family members or friends to cancer. And so the grief and pain was just more than I could take. And that's where I really, really, you know, I'd already been off the rails quite a bit with the pills. Um, every pharmaceutical I could find I abused. Um, was not a street user. You know, that's not my story. But what I've learned is it doesn't matter what the drug of choice is if it takes you to the same point. Um, you know, this spiritual death inside, this loss of identity for me and numbing out because I could not cope with the reality of my life and the tragedy of feeling like I was meant to create and meant to put my art out to the world to help others and having that, you know, just, I couldn't get there. And I was my, I was in my own way. You know, I was in a prison cell of my own creation. Um, so I, I don't remember a lot of those last two years, you know, the fall of 2017, I went through some very big surgeries and, um, you know, it's interesting, the tie-in between emotional pain and physical pain. Those two years, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome. I had major um, digestive issues, you know, migraines 27 times a month. I was just, I thought I was dying and I felt like I was dying. And I went to every doctor in the city trying to pinpoint what is this that's happening to me. Um, all the while believing I didn't have a problem with pills. Uh, that was just too painful a reality to look at. And that's where that denial, you know, comes in full force. It's amazing the lies we tell ourselves to protect ourselves. And um, December 5th of 2017, you know, I was living in a wing off the, the floor of the house that was just, it was the room where my dad died. It was dark. I was completely alone. I mean, my kids came in and brought food while I was recovering. Um, from those surgeries, but I, I was surrounded with bottles of pills, pain pills, all the, everything. And my husband never really knew that there was a problem um, because I was just obsessed with holding that image of perfection and couldn't allow anyone in. At that point, I'd cut off all friends for the last, you know, previous four years. So I was completely isolated, didn't know how to ask for help. Um, I remembered reading Brene Brown's Daring greatly. And that was like that hope shot for me. You know, I couldn't apply any of it. I couldn't implement any of it, but it was my hope shot. Um, it's the one thing that I look back that stood out that said, you know, maybe there is another side to this. So I tried to overdose December 5th of 2017 and no one knew. Um, I think my subconscious knew that I can't leave seven children in this world, that, that selfishness of it. But I, so I woke up the next morning, really the next, I don't know, 24 hours later. And I, I was so, it's like I woke up and I went, oh my God, what did I just do? How could I be so selfish to, you know, to, to even try that? Um, so for the next six weeks, still stubborn, you know, stuck in my own ego that I can do it all if I could just try hard enough. You know, I tried to get off these pills by myself and I'd last six hours in cave. I'd last 12 hours at cave. The longest I could get clean was 17 hours in the whole span of the, uh, those six weeks leading up to um, January 30th. 
I, I just, I was trying to paint, trying to pull myself out of this and I just collapsed. I just started sobbing. It's like, I got a window into what my world had become. How I'd let everybody down. Most of all, I'd let myself down and, um, it hurt so many people, you know, the benzos that I was hooked on and on 24 seven for years and years, you know, that's a tranquilizer and it, it ends up doing the opposite, which is, you know, I was territorial over my furniture. I was flipping out at my kids. I've never been a screamer and I was, I mean, so it was really, it was really terrible that last year. But I had this window, you know, this moment of clarity, they describe it as, and I asked for help. I told my mom and, and she's like, well, Jess, maybe think of rehab as like, you know, a break. Or she was trying to like, can, cause she could see me when nobody else could see me. And, and, and she's, she said, you know, maybe just think about that. So I did, I made some phone calls to two rehabs that were recommended and it happened very quickly. They did my intake and they said, you need to get in here right now. We'll be there in four hours to pick you up. And I uh, talked to my husband and he said, okay. And he was in shock. I mean, he did not realize that things had gotten like that. And we told the kids, I, they got there at one in the morning and I was kind of whisked off in the middle of the night, super suddenly. And it was traumatic for my kids. Um, but it was, it was necessary for me. You know, they, they talk about the pain being great enough. It's really when the pain is great enough, we change or we're willing to change. And for me, I had to go down that road and it had to be as painful as it was. It took me 17 years of marriage to come to the end of myself and my own control freak, you know, overachieving craziness that uh, drove me into the depths of the darkest times. Um, and what happens when someone does not address a sexual assault and get the help they need, you know, like now I can say it without the stigma or without caring what people think of me because it was not my fault and I can finally own that. Um, so I got to rehab and it took me a few days to clear up. They had to taper me off, you know, a lot longer than many of the others there because I'd been on for so, so, so long, 15 years. Um, and I remember being in the first group session and my plan was, you know, I just need to get off this so I don't die trying to do it on my own. And I like therapy. I'll do the therapy. I'm not going to engage with people. I'll do the thing. I'm a hard worker. I'll go home. Everything will be great. Um, that was my, you know, head speaking when I was still high. When I got there, you know, the first group session, I um, heard somebody talking and just spilling from the beginning. And I realized it was me and it just came pouring out like the floodgates. And I never uh, understood what it was like to really ask for help and allow a group of people in that were in the same position where I didn't have to explain myself. And I was really wrapped up in all these people that came around that were going through the same thing. But I went so vulnerable that day that um, 
I learned a lesson that if you're willing to go out on that limb, it holds space for other people to go really deep and really vulnerable as well. And, and I feel like that group of people that I went through the program with, we were so close and supportive of each other because it was, it was really um, all out as far as what we had gone through. And, you know, my story is not unique in that there are so many addicts right now and we all reach that same point of darkness where it's the end of the road, you know, rock bottom. And mine was not a story of in and out of rehabs and hardcore street drugs and all of that. You know, mine was the insidious torture drip over two decades um, that crept up on me and brought me to that same point. Some people that reach it in a month or a week, I read, it took me, you know, stubborn me took me most of my life to get to that point, but it was I began to wake up and start realizing, you know, what I had gone through and addressing those issues. And I realized if I went back to the marriage, I would never stay clean. I, I would most likely relapse right away. I wasn't trying to predict my own future, but I just knew the environment was not, um, I felt like I lived in a box and I am a free spirit and I'm really needed to approach recovery out of the box and be all in. And um, that's what I did. I moved in with my mom for three months until I could find the courage. I continued going through intensive outpatient um, and gain support and courage and hope from other addicts and the therapists I was working with that there is another side to this. And if I just stayed clean and sober, that I would have a chance. Um, so I went through uh, recovery. Um, I got involved with the 12-step program and went to meetings every night. And slowly the pieces came together and I started really learning what it meant like to surrender my control and trust that if I just stayed in today, that things would happen the way they're meant to be and that I was loved and supported. Um, the hard part for me, I did end up renting a house that summer, moving out, um, we arranged custody that I would get them, you know, 50% custody. And in that trans transition, it was still a lot of pain and um, challenge trying to maneuver a divorce process, um, not seeing my kids every day was super, super hard and staying clean each day and not, not having, a, I've always been, you know, a goal oriented big picture Then I know how to behave. And this was this, okay, how am I going to be today? And that's where the eating disorder really, really went off the grid. Um, that first year I didn't have anything to numb out with and food is no different than any other addiction, you know, anything to get outside ourselves, And I needed a feeling to get outside of the pain that I was still in and, and the binging and purging and then restricting, you know, my kids would leave for a few days and I just would close the cabinets, close the fridge and, um, you know, live on as little as I possibly could, not because I wanted to, but it just, 
it was a feeling outside myself, you know, that head rush after purging and the, the feeling that comes with not eating. Um, you know, the, it, it was all that same kind of mind altering, mood altering feeling that, that is parallel to any substance abuse. Um, and I was abusing laxatives horribly. Um, so that brought me to my next kind of, it wasn't a deep, dark end. I was getting better. I was, you know, really involved in therapy and every modality I could use to help get better. I would really have been on a mission to never live life in, in that, any kind of darkness like that again. Um, so I went to the eating disorder place in Pittsburgh and I had an intake and their recommendation based on having so many kids, the divorce, all of it was, I was hoping I could do outpatient and they, they really were like, you know, you need to go away again, have that total safe space for extended time to um, really address this without any other distractions or people needing you. Um, so that's what I did in the summer of 2019. I did inpatient there. And um, that for me was a lot more challenging. They had a um, trauma group and they had art therapy that was amazing, but it was a whole different um, window into a world that I really believed I did not have a problem with. And that first week um, in the beginner dining room where you have to eat everything on your plate, um, and follow the meal plan for you, I realized how, how bad it had been, you know, my entire life. I, I couldn't sit with a plate of food in me without the ability to get rid of it. It just, I remember sobbing through a few of those meals there and coming face to face with, this is the hard reality, Jess. You have a problem. You cannot hide in the corners of your mind anymore with this. And let's give it your all and see what happens. So I engaged, I sat through the discomfort, I sat in the feelings, went through all of the therapy that was available to me there. And um, the hard part was that the trauma group opened up some things with me that I don't feel like fully closed back up before I left. Um, and that sent me into a bit of a tailspin, you know, the fall those few months after I was discharged, um, just like the reality that I had, so, you know, there's this thing where I, I wanted to believe I was better. And then I went, did the next hard thing and I wanted to be better. And then these things opened up and I needed to dig even deeper. Um, and I'm so grateful for that because without any of these hard, painful, you know, just painful experiences, I wouldn't be where I am today. And, and the breakthrough for me, you know, digging deeper, I had to get down to those core limiting beliefs about myself that I didn't even know existed. You know, one that I didn't believe that it was okay for me to shine because it would make other people feel bad or jealous, or I didn't feel like I was worthy to do that. I still battled looking in the mirror um, to see value. So I ratcheted down and, and did more work. And then COVID hit 
um, and I read everything I could. I really started working the steps and there was one about, you know, surrendering. And that's where I had what people would describe as a spiritual awakening. And, you know, that was in um, the beginning of February of 2020, right before COVID hit. And it's like I saw another glimpse of who I'm meant to be. And if I just surrender this controlling outcomes that I still was hanging on to, that, um, that it would be okay, that the divorce would resolve, that my finances would be okay, that I would, relationships, I didn't have to hang on to trying so hard to look so good for other people. And through writing and journaling and meditation and um, everything, I really dug into those. And therapy, I have an amazing therapist, worked through this stuff. And um, I ended up, I have a commercial building on my property and I looked at that and I thought, what if I risk? What if I like actually practice this surrender? You know, that has classroom space to teach. I could really paint could really see if I can step into being what I've always dreamed to be, which is a fine artist, um, and teach and serve others. So then I signed the lease, and then three weeks later, we're in lockdown. I had to shelter my high-risk son with the lung issues. He flew back from Georgia. The other kids stayed with their dad, and I was the only one with the flexibility to kind of have a safe place to fully lock down and quarantine with him. So it was in those 65 days. I had this crazy experience um, because I was FaceTiming everyone and Zooming with everyone and seeing my face reflected back to me in all of these videos. It was, it was like, all right, Jess, you really have to see yourself, like see the body, see the face and get okay with it. Or there's no communication with anybody. And um, I had this wild experience where I had a shift. It was a recorded video that I had sent to someone and it was a day where the sun was pouring in. I was driving, I was in a great mood and I was being funny. I was telling some sort of joke or something um, and totally free. It just was this video that captured me in my essence. And I never rewatched videos, but that day I did. And I saw Somehow I shifted from seeing me to seeing, like I was watching an Instagram video or I shifted into the third person. Didn't know it at the time. And I saw this woman who, sorry, this is emotional again. I saw this woman who was so likable and so pretty. And she was funny. I was like laughing at the story that she was telling and the light. You know, there was this light, not just pouring in, but it was pouring out. And I saw me as I was meant to be, like the way other people see me. It was just this glimpse. And everything changed from that point forward. And I realized I don't have to try anymore. I don't have to try. I can just be this person and it's okay. It's more than okay. She has this light and this gift. And it was really at that point that I started cutting out any kind of toxic relationships. I'd been on, you know, online dating and whatever. And I just stopped. I was like, if I'm meant for someone, it'll happen. And I started 
um, giving my time to people who didn't value me, who just wanted something from me. I thought, you know, I have the power to like have these boundaries now and be with the people who see that person I saw who light me up. And I, I realized there's this energy in me. And when I allow people kind of in my world to see that, and they have that giving energy, that giving heart, you know, it's just, it's this energy that's created in the world. That's love and joy and fire and authenticity. And I began to own it. And I started, um, my art changed at that point. There was a woman that, um, you know, really led me into understanding what honest art is. Um, Jody King, she's an incredible artist and mentor. And um, I started exploring what would happen if I combined meditation, stream of consciousness journaling that I'd already been doing, and then painting on top of it. Um, and just trusting that every mark I make, every color I choose is meant to be. It's not something I have to plan or, you know, make the pretty art that people would buy. Like I let go of caring if anybody would ever buy my work ever. It was for me. It's this expression of, of who I am inside. And the more honest I am with that, you know, the more I created work that I, I fell in love with, that I was okay with, which I'd never experienced before. And um, I just continued leaning into that and finding tribes of people that that would fill me up and light me up and and encourage me and, and fill me up with the courage and the empowerment. Not fill me up, but enable me to find that in me and just celebrate that. We could celebrate each other. So I did a mastermind mentorship program with Jody and... Um, committed to being a full-time painter in September. And since that point, I have painted, I think it's 78 paintings. And you can see the scale in my video. You know, some of them are four foot by five foot, four foot by six foot. Like, it's like I unlocked the key to my heart. And my brand that I'm evolving into is the art of your heart. Um, because that's what everything I speak about. I have a book coming out in a month. Um, everything that I want to give to others, because it is about serving others, um, is about the art of your heart. And that same thing I taught those kids, which is there's no right or wrong way to create art. And I had never been able to apply that to myself until four months ago. So this journey of, I've been slowly kind of coming out with my story of addiction, of eating disorder, PTSD, raising seven children, all of the challenges that I've been through because I've, I am doing it. You know, I am living clean and sober. You know, the, I can look in the mirror and see me for who I am and the hate is gone. And it's when I show up at these big canvases, I really treat it as, you know, I am a conduit for God, universe, love, whatever energy is meant to flow through me onto the canvas is intended to serve the world through providing hope, inspiration, joy, empowerment, whatever people see in my work. And ever since I've just been putting this out there and becoming more and more vulnerable, art has been selling almost as quickly as I post it. And, um, you know, people are 
engaged with the story and I've had so many messages and emails and Zoom calls where people have said, keep going with this because you've impacted me personally in such a profound way, you know, stay on, on this journey and keep, keep doing what you're doing um, because the impact my art can have and maybe my story can have um, to others to know that there is you know, this incredible life that we're meant to have. And I've found my purpose and I'm fulfilling it. And like, I am overwhelmed with such, overwhelmed with such an incredible sense of purpose now. And it, it is about serving others for me. So, you know, I'm just, I have a lot of big things happening now, big opportunities being featured on podcasts and interviews and, um, having the courage to step out into the public eye in a way that I never could have done before and stay raw and open with my work. And I want, I'm, I have one class in development um, in collaboration with a Reiki healer and life coach where it's all about letters, letters to, uh, it's about relationships and writing letters to the broken past relationship and to yourself. Um, to heal from a toxic relationship. And I'm going to walk, my piece of it is saving the best parts of those letters and creating a final piece of artwork at the end where um, the words, the memories that are good, that can serve us. For me, it's all about the silver linings and the pain, taking pain and making it beautiful. Um, and using the mixed media technique on a canvas and walking people through how to paint from your heart, um, the art of your heart um, into something that they can take away and represent, you know, that, that facet of their life or that journey. And really to develop courses, to walk people through grief or children coping with sick parents, you know, that's an important part. Um, you know, just releasing stress, just engaging in the nonverbal, you know, giving space for nonverbal of the emotion to be captured in a physical visual form. You know, it, it captures nuances of emotion that, that cannot be articulated. And that's where my heart really is, because that's what I'm living and doing in my own work. And it's available, like art is accessible to everybody. And it's just a matter of um, you know, my gift has always been creating a safe space for people to be willing to take that creative risk and engage in something that they don't believe they can do. Um, so that's really where I am and what I'm developing. And um, I'm so excited for 2021 and the people I'm meeting and the, and the stories that I'm receiving back. Um, it just lights me up in such an incredible way. Yeah, I mean, this is your story, first of all, is so powerful. There's so much there. I mean, it's just also I just want to like backtrack for a minute because what you were when you mentioned creating art, you used to create art that you thought people would wanna would want. And once you started creating art that you truly loved, that resonated with you and was authentic to who you are, that's when it really started selling. Yes. And I think that's such an an important point. Um just to to bring up because 
it's really like that with everything in life. Mm -hmm. People are constantly trying to please other people to present in a way that other people want them to present. But when you look inside and see how do how do I feel about myself? How do I feel? Like, what do I want to do? How do I want to look? Like, it's about what you, and then people love you for who, for who you are when you create and are your, your truly authentic self. Yeah. It's incredible. It's so important. And I never understood that. And you spend your life twisting and contorting inside to fit what other people believe you should be, you know, whether it's to be, you know, let's, keep her small and in a box so that I'm more comfortable so that my insecurities aren't inflamed. I mean, I've had a lot of things with men where, um, that was the dynamic and I don't mean personal relationships necessarily, even business relationships in the other companies, you know, I had this vision, but because I didn't have all these letters after my name and branding and marketing expertise that I needed to stay small and quiet. Um, but, you know, the, the thing I've recognized with me, hindsight's twenty twenty, and connecting those dots, um, I twisted and conformed and um, agonized over how to make other people more comfortable around me, you know, not saying something because it might make someone uncomfortable, you know, saying something you know, an over-exaggeration so that they would, they would feel better or boost them up. And it was always about the other person or group of people, you know, I, I couldn't. So part of that has been learning to speak up and say no to things that um, are not meant for me. And even if that means disappointing someone else or making someone else uncomfortable, realize that staying true to this is so precious. Um, so precious and I never want to give me away again, even if it means disappointing others. And I never seek to hurt anyone, but there's a difference there, a big difference for me. Um, you know, decades of going down the tubes because I was trying to fit that mold of what um, marketable art should be, what Jessica could, should be as the athlete, what Jessica should be as the mother, how she needed to present herself so that you know, the stigma around big families wasn't offensive to other people. If I could make them all look a certain way and have this illusion of the perfect suburban family, then I wouldn't get the criticism of, are you crazy? How could, you know, I did, I have had a lot of people come out and say not nice things about how many kids, but the way I look at it, I put a lot of incredible minds and beautiful people into the world and we need more of that. So I sure. love love my big family. Yeah, I love it. I love it too. But I also love and I wrote this down you said about being with people who light you up and who see you the way that you see yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is such in that's crucial. That's crucial in life. Because if you are surrounded by people who believe in you and see, see you the way that you see yourself, which hopefully is in a healthy way. Once you reach that healthy point of seeing yourself as right, then that's the way to grow and, and just feel good. Because why would you want to speak with people who that that's part, part of putting out boundaries by distancing yourself from people who make you feel less than or bad right. about yourself. Right. Right. And to recognize that, I mean, I used to always be so scared if someone didn't like me and that need to be liked and I like 
sorry, fuck that. But like, I'm, I'm done with that. And same with my art. Like I, um, there's so many incredible people in the world and I don't need to be liked by everyone. My art isn't for everyone. My story isn't going to be for everyone, but it is for someone. And those people are the ones, um, that are, are coming and finding me now. Um, and that's an incredible thing. Like my Instagram following, you know, it's building, but it's not followers to me. It's, it's connections with real people and about relationships and my tribe. And I don't want everybody to follow me. You know what I mean? Like I want my followers to really be in alignment with who I'm, who I am and living this life to be. And, um, you know, to not the same kind of thing. Everyone wants a million followers on Instagram, but I don't, I want a million of the right followers, but I'm not gonna, you know, jump through hoops or pay people money for a bigger following. It'll come. Um, and that, that gives me the freedom to really just post freely now and write with my painting postings and be quirky on video. You know, I did a video the other day and it was a hurdle for me. I was in my pajamas I rolled out of bed at nine that morning and was working and I never changed because I was painting and I filmed a video at midnight or one in the morning um, on camera, uh, no makeup. It was kind of a breakthrough for me and, and I never could have done that before. Um, but I am who I am and I love who I am now. Honestly, I can say that with complete truth. Um, and I, I couldn't see how other people did it or reach that point before until I had to live it and, um, keep pushing, you know, that Brene Brown book I mentioned in, in active addiction, those dark days, you know, all anyone needs is that hope shot. I think that speaks to their heart, um, that if they, they stay with it, you know, they keep staying in the, in each day and, feeling the discomfort and not playing victim. You know, it was easy for me to play the victim back then. You know, I'm a victim of this assault that happened when I was 18, you know, for me has, you know, I have to use pills because you know, I, I was very much my own jailkeeper because I played the victim, you know, I played the victim and I never, wanted, I'm grateful for those things that happened that brought me here because had it been any less painful, um, I would still probably be back there gobbling down pills and numbing out and staying hidden and staying away from people and really trapped in my own mind. And that was not what was meant for me. And, uh, so I can look back like silver linings and mindset are super important. So when you shift your heart to gratitude as the foundation, gratitude for every single thing, even COVID, I, I'm not victim of COVID happening to the world. I am going to make the best, you know, that find those silver linings in, in all of it. Um, so that's, these are huge, huge things that I wish I could gift to everybody somehow. Um, for sure. Yeah. No, everything you're saying is so powerful. So true. And by the way, I'm looking at your paintings in the back of you and I'm loving them. I love these types of paintings. Like what, what, what are they called? Esoteric paintings? Um, They're just abstract expressionists. Well, abstract, yeah. I, especially that one with the hearts. Yes. So that ironically enough is 2020 silver linings. 
Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, I I love your style. So it's funny because I met you when I started seeing your work. I um your art. It was already, I think, once you were in the abstract painting sphere. Mm-hmm. So I've never seen. I'm gonna go back to your Instagram and just like take a look at it because I'm just curious to see. Yeah. But um, I happen to really love and appreciate art, and I I really do love your paintings. I enjoy. I just started following you on Instagram. We've been friends on Facebook, I think, but I just started following you on Instagram. So, um, I'm excited to see like what you come up with and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's. I just posted something today that I painted yesterday, and I looked at it, and I'm like where on earth did that come from? Because, you know, in the fine art world, galleries really want you to be marketable and stay in a style and be known for this one look that you have. And and many artists do that very well, but I am not one. Um, I really don't have any interest in, in galleries um, because it, it I, I, that freedom to paint whatever comes through me that day I went through a period where these Southwestern landscapes came pouring out, abstract landscapes straight out of my head. Um, and I thought, wow, I've never even been to Arizona, but um, you know, I sold one to a woman in Texas, one to someone in Arizona, another to someone in Texas. And um, it's just wild, but just trusting that if I show up open and honest and willing to that canvas, that it's, it's gonna flow. And yesterday's was definitely another deviation. Um, And then I went through just feeling so overwhelmed and loved um, at the end of December and into January that these love paintings have come pouring out. And, um, you know, I sold a triptych with just the words love and black and white hearts. And that, that sold almost within a day of posting it. So it's, uh, I'm sending out the love and it's going through the canvases yeah. <laughs> and, and coming right back. So. I love it. I love it. Well, okay. So what is something that you hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with? I hope that the next generation is raised by women who are stepping into empowerment and courage and love and that they raise these young girls to own who they are, to allow them the freedom to explore what makes them tick, you know, allowing a child's curiosity to drive them instead of being that empty cup that education in the world pours into. And, you know, to follow this formula, I mean, I hope that girls are free to break out of the mold, the expectations. You know, I used to have a thing in that in my head glow on the embers that glow, you know, meaning if there's that glow in a child, whether it's, I want to go be a puppeteer or, you know, whatever outlandish non-normal career path they want to go after, or even just explore as a kid, um, that you fan those flames and because authenticity and having permission to be unique, um, to not feel like you're a mistake. You know, that's that's really what I want for the next generation because all the the addictive behaviors that all of it stems from feeling like you don't belong and that who you are and what you are are what your passion is isn't right for the world. Um, so it's not that I would wish for no addiction or no whatever. I I want that core to be flamed in these young women that they are unique and powerful, and special, um, and free, you know, freely, 
for you to embrace whatever quirky thing, wonderful thing that makes them who they are. Because um, with seven kids, I've really found that they they come out the way they they are who they are. I mean, environment has a lot to do with it, but um, I really nurtured my kids to embrace embrace that. And um, it's I have three in college now, and it's so cool to see the other side of it. Three in co- how do you you don't look old enough to have kids in college? <laughs> <I'm serious. laughs> my twins are twenty two. Uh, they're seniors. One at Carnegie Mellon. One at Savannah College of Art and Design. And my freshman just started at Savannah College of Art and Design as well. And then I have a 10th grader, 9th grader, 8th grader, 7th grader. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I really thought you were much younger. That's amazing. You look so fantastic. Thank you. I uh, look way different than I did three years ago. That's for sure. Because it's in the inside, you know? It's true. Um, And the outside. I take care of myself now. I, I didn't. That was the other thing. I didn't think I was worth seeing I couldn't show my face in the world and and I do take care of myself now in a way that makes me feel good right and it shows yeah for sure so where can people find you if they want to learn more about you okay so for prints and paintings um, my site is jessicahughesfineart.com and that is also my tagline for my main Instagram and Facebook and I'm on all the others starting a YouTube channel, nice. TikTok, thanks to my kids. And they're guiding me on how to get, I'm putting all the time-lapse behind the scenes stuff on there. Um, but I'm, I also have theartofyourheart.com. And that is where you can find out more about the book that is released in February and um, speaking engagements. And I'm starting a blog there as well. And that's where you can opt into the newsletter if you're interested in online courses or um, I'm going to do destination live workshops probably three times a year, maybe twice a year, um, because I love working with people one-on-one or, you know, live, not always virtually. Um, But I'm going to be developing courses at every level, live, virtual live, self-paced, and then also give lots of freebies. Um, So theartofyourheart.com is where that will that will all live. That's awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Jess. I really appreciate you sharing your story and inspiration with all of our listeners. Thank you so much. So, so much for having me on. This was your inspiring and empowered and beautiful. And to get to come on your podcast was really an honor. And I'm, I'm so happy. Thank you. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 